opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, happy to be back in the studio on this Martin Luther King Day, and I hope you're all um, enjoying this Monday and uh, having a great work day. I'd like to give you our phone number if you're listening and you'd like to join the show. We would love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to call in to 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. And be sure to check out our new website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two watch.net, N-E-T. Uh, you can take a look at our lineup. We have a, a tremendous lineup scheduled through to uh, June at this point with some really incredible women. And um, and we also have some on-the-road series that are going to be coming up. So I'd love for you to take a look at that. So I'm uh, very happy to welcome my guest to the show this afternoon. She's calling us, I believe she's in New York, calling uh, from there. Her name is Susan Willis. And Susan is the co-founder of Cutting Room and also Light of Day, which are um, editorial uh, – uh, excuse me, The Cutting Room is an editorial shop in New York, and Light of Day is a digital production and graphic design company. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Um, it's so nice to hear your voice again. We had a wonderful conversation a couple of months ago. and I've been, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Exactly. I've been looking <laughs> forward to this. Are you, are you in New York today? Yes, you are okay. completely accurate. I sure am. I'm standing in my office, actually, and it's okay. a really nice, quiet day, the kind of day that it's nice to come in only for a few hours and get some odds and ends done, yeah. and so it's 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 a good MLK day so far, for it sure. It is. It is. Even yeah. my commute in, the roads were not as um, as busy as they normally are, so I noticed that difference. Oh, we love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So listen, we're, I, you know, our listeners are always interested in, in hearing about the great work that my guests are doing, but equally interested in, in where you came from and, and um, you know, what your path was that led you to this spot. So I'd love for you to talk just for a few minutes about your life growing up in Long Island. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Well, so my life growing up in Long Island, I mean, it's pretty interesting because, you know, I guess if I were to look back, um, I would say in a funny way, you know, my life, my, my family, it's um, it's pretty much, you know, encapsulates sort of, um, I think, the New York Italians, really, um, you know, both on um, both sides of my family, um, both my, my all four of my grandparents came from Italy, you know, in the 1900s, came over on the boat uh, through Ellis Island. Everyone settled in Brooklyn somewhere. Um, and then, you know, that was that was the first generation to come over. And then my parents being the second generation, you know, very typical growing up in 
Brooklyn, you know, and um, and Queens and all that good stuff. So I I um, spent, you know, pretty much the, the earliest part of my life growing up in Queens in um, a place called Far Rockaway. If you know the Ramones, you know, you, you know some of their music and it's right. like Rockaway, yes. you know, Rock and Roll High School, Rockaway Beach. So that was all that, that sort of part of the world. And um, so that's that's where, you know, I, I came from. And then it was kind of like at that time, you know, my parents moved just across into the first town on Long Island. It's, it's a town called Valley Stream. So, you know, I think for my parents, it was like a really big deal to like get out of where they had grown up, which was actually a really fun place to grow up. But um, then, then starting off on our life on Long Island was like a big deal for my parents. I think it was like, oh, wow, we made it. We're on Long Island now. This is great, even though we we're just like a toe <laughs> across, you know, and, and all that good yeah. stuff. A so, new beginning. Um, so a new beginning. A yeah. new beginning. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that was my, my early childhood. Yeah, that's, that's well, a part of the world I come from. Yeah. Now, t- uh, siblings, did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. 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 So I am, I'm, I'm the youngest in my family. My brother, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because my brother was, um, you know, the firstborn, and then my sister came along right after. My sister actually works with me in my office. I'm really, really oh, fortunate that's to nice. have her with me. Yeah, it that's wonderful. So good. I'm very lucky. And um, and um, but for my brother, you know, it was um, he was the first one in our family to go to college. I mean, on both sides of the family, it was again, it was a really big deal. You know, it was like New York, you know, Italian immigrants and. And it wasn't until, you know, our generation that, you know, certainly my parents had more opportunities than my grandparents, but it was not until my generation, my brother being the first and then my sister myself, you know, even even having the opportunity to go to college, it was just really not heard of. Everybody worked hard. My father was a New York City cop, and, um, and my mother worked in a bank as well, um, you know, worked really hard, like like as a like teller type job, mm-hmm. and um, and and we were able to get a little bit more in each generation. I see it very clearly in my family. Yeah. I do. Now that is was not always the case, though. That y- your mom worked. Did she work when you were growing up? When you were young? She. It's you know. It's it's really interesting. My mother. My mother did not work when my brother and sister were growing up. They're a bit older than I am. I came along later. So mm-hmm. you know, think think what you might. You know. So I think I was a little bit of a surprise because I did come <laughs> along a bit later. Right. And um and um and then, you know, I I actually don't think because I was very expected that that you know I think my mom kind of had to go back to work. I think there were really only so many resources and my parents you know is interesting because my brother he went to a private school my sister went to a catholic school ultimately then later on i was always also sent to a catholic school and so they were working really hard to try to you know pay for our education and i think at that point you know, it was just too difficult to be a one-income household. So my mother went back to work, or, or maybe, gosh, now I think about it, maybe she went to work for the first time, actually, mm. in her whole entire life. Wow. I was thinking about it. Yeah. Wow. And I wonder how yeah, she managed to get that job as a, you know, as a teller in a, a bank. It's a really, really good question. I think my mother is, um, if I had to answer, and now you're, you're making me realize I should ask, and it's probably a great story. Um, it's probably the way she did a lot of things. She just did it with complete and utter gumption, like, like you're going to hire me. I'm the best. <laughs> I may not know anything, but, oh, well, you I know, I'm going yeah. to work hard. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so she did. She 
she um, started working when I was about five years old, which was interesting because that also left at home um, for, well, they had always been with us, but my Italian grandparents. Okay. And so, you know, they, they, we all pitched in. We, yeah. were, we were all, you know, still very, very close family like that, and it, and it made it all work, you know. Yeah. And still does today. Listen, my mother is still, thank goodness, around. She helps me with my daughter. Um, you know, it's all, it's all still sort of, it takes a village kind yeah, of mentality. Yeah, in the family. Well, one thing I know for sure about um, Italian families and, you know, that generation is the work ethic that, you know, yeah. they tried to instill in their children. And my guess is yeah. that, um, you know, if your mom had that mentality to go out there and yeah. get that job, that you learned a lot from her and, and from that. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot from her and from that. I mean, you know, it's funny. I flash on a story um, when I was in seventh and eighth grade. I was having a really hard time. I mean, I was in um, a school that was a really big school, and I just, you know, was not thriving, let's just say. I was really becoming a shrinking violet. I mean, I really, you know, it just wasn't the right environment for me. I was, I was pretty naive and geeky, and and it just, it just wasn't a good environment. And you know, I think my parents, you know, being who they were, and my mother being so committed and strong-willed, sort of found a Catholic school that she really liked. But admissions were closed. I do remember that actually. We're in the basement doing laundry together, and it was maybe the summer of um, eighth grade, so the summer going into ninth grade. And she knew. She knew I was having a really hard time and just completely, you know, scared to even, you know, go back to the school I was in, just, mm. just you know, not doing well. And and I remember sitting on the dryer. The dryer was going, and, you know, she was putting laundry into the washer, and she just looked at me. She was like, there's a school. And it's a Catholic school. It's quite a few, it was quite a few towns from where we lived, actually. It was, it was kind of a pain in the butt to get to. But um, she said, you know, admissions are closed. But I've convinced Sister Anne, who was the woman running the school at the time, to give you an interview. And we have one shot. So wow. we're going to go. And it was like the next day or something. Oh, we're my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm not yeah. surprised so, you know that that moment, you know, like it happened yesterday. I love how you describe like sitting happened. on the dryer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're making me, you know, these questions that you ask are just so beautiful, and it just makes you think about stuff it does, mm. you know, and, and so I'm kind of flashing back, and we went, and I remember Sister Anne, you know, she asked us a few questions. We were both sitting there together, and she looked at my mother, and she said, write an essay of why you think your daughter <clears throat> belongs in this school and my mother <laughs> we went into another room sort of just off the room we were in and I think I went to say something to my mother and she looked at me like if you disturb me I mean it was a look <laughs> of death like right. the concentration in her face that she had to sit and write an essay on the spot so I was like okay got it and I sat quietly for an hour didn't move she, right. wrote, she said she wrote for her life oh and my gosh handed in the essay sure enough within a day or two sister Anne accepted me into the school and and that definitely is a huge huge thing that changed my life uh, just going into the right environments like that and my mom and dad acknowledging that and and definitely working hard that work ethic that that we're talking about was um yeah it, it was definitely running through the family in a big way wow definitely. and and also yeah. i would imagine the just that wonderful feeling that you know your mom had your back she really yep. you know she was there for you 
Yep, absolutely. Were, were you struggling? Was it was it um, academically you were struggling or personally or both at the other school? You know, it was both. It was okay. both. It yeah. was that the yeah, it was that the environment was, you know, it's so funny. I really, really feel for, you know, and that's why education is so important to me. And, and I just understand how for so many children, hey, it's just like a job, right? Like mm-hmm. You can work in one office or one company and be like, I don't know why this just isn't working for me. It doesn't feel good. But for children, it's like, it's so hard to find the right environment. We don't always have those choices in life. We really don't. And money is a big factor and, and you know, just, just location where we live. And so I was lucky that, you know, I think if you were to talk to my mom, she would say she always kind of knew and she wished she could have switched me sooner. But, you know, there was only so much, you know, so many resources that we had. So it, it was something that had to wait. Right. Um, so I did know she had my back, though. Yeah. I did know she had my back, but I also knew it was really difficult. Yeah. I well, you know, I did not take it lightly. Yeah. One of the great things that you did, Susan, though, was to speak up. So we all know that kids, yeah. so many kids are struggling um, and they just yeah. keep it to themselves. They don't, they just think I, this is where I go to school and this is my neighborhood and this is where I have to be. And I just have to kind of so deal true. with it. Yeah. So, so, true. so that so was true wonderful. Because, yeah. Speaking up is important because you know what? I think there's probably always, maybe almost always, even if it's just one teacher, one somebody, if you speak up, you might get a little bit of um, the protection you need sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. Definitely. Um, so tell me, talk to me a little bit about the high school years and what kinds of activities mm-hmm. you were involved in. Did you play athletics? Were you on student council? What were your interests? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I was. Um, I I grew up dancing, so I I loved ballet. I loved modern. I loved tap. I mean any form of dancing. So by the time I got to high school, it was, um, I was a cheerleader. So I think, and it kind of goes along my personality even today that I would have been on the cheerleading squad and jumping around <laughs> and yelling and making up routines and, and, right. and, you know, doing that like, yeah. like a little bit of, um, also creative, you know, sort of, um, teamwork that yeah. we had to, you know, create different routines and stuff like that. So that was really what I did. Um, it wasn't, wasn't very much beyond that actually. Well, and, that's and wonderful. We all need cheerleaders. Yeah. We all need yeah. those people that really, you know, just are constantly <laughs> exactly. trying to lift us up. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go to, let's, let's, well, actually, let, let me, um, you went to college where? I'm sorry, I forget. Where did yeah, you go to? Yeah, yeah. So, so I went to SUNY New Paltz. I went to a okay. state school. And, you know, yeah. and it's interesting because, like, even in, in just before getting on the call with you today, I was kind of thinking how, you know, it's like my whole, and, and, I, and I, I, I know, I know that probably the majority of young women still may feel this way today in the sense that like you know and and we'll get to this right like being in a male-dominated world being in male-dominated careers etc etc but like how many of us are in male-dominated family structures and and I think that a lot of what women face starts early on even if it's the most positive family structure possible which I feel blessed to have had in my life and it was myself my sister there was only one boy so you know you would think that we had the the men outnumbered but Mm -hmm. but the reality is like because there were only again so many resources growing up you know we did not have much at 
all, if anything, really. You know, everything was, was put towards our, our, our school. But even within that, there were choices and decisions that had to be made. And I look back and I realize even the very family structure, it was like, you know, I went to a state school. And that was fine. That was appropriate, you know, for my grades, for everything. But, you know, my brother did get a lot of the hopes placed on him. And, I mean, oh, and right. honestly, a lot of the demands, too, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure. And so, you know, he went, you know, definitely straight to, like, the um, Harvard route, mm-hmm. you know. And that was, like, major, you know, causes for celebrations in my family. And, you know. Do you but, think that was a cultural could, thing, Susan? You know, I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. The Itali- Again, yes. going back to all. It's like, like I would say, my husband says, like, if Ken Burns did, like, the New York Italians, maybe he has. Like, a, like he would definitely use some of our photographs for my family. Definitely, you know, use it's. I think it was very cultural, mm. um, very representative of the time period. Yes. Um, that he was the first male born in the family, and then mm. the first to go to college, and then like you know we kind of went later on. But listen, there was only so much money. There was only so much time. My parents are working. You know, mm-hmm. how much homework can they really focus on? It can't be all of us. Yeah. So well, there are choices that are made, right. and it is cultural. So, you know, as a young girl, even I think family structures, not even because, like, it, it's a bad thing. It's just reality sometimes, yes, right? Like yes. parents have to make decisions. They do, and there's only so much time if parents are working super hard. So I, I get it. I get it as an older woman looking back. I really do. But yeah. you even see that within family structures that like male dominated like resources can start early. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. not only that, Susan, I'm so glad you said that there's when you talk about the resources, just having, you know, the, the personal ones from family, you know, the families we grow up in. Yeah. We also didn't have you know, shows like ours and and organizations and, um, yeah. you know, the initiatives all around women's empowerment. You know, there's so much going on today to help young girls, you know, Absolutely. move out of that old traditional kind of setting, right? And oh my it's gosh. so important. So, so much so. It's like what yeah. you're saying. It's like just, you know, because I spoke up, I was able to, like, move forward a bit, yes. for example, when I was a young girl into another school. So to your point, it's like the fact that even when, you know, you and I were, you know, coming through those years, there weren't these sorts of organizations that you, that you have, one fantastic one. It's, it's like it's like now even more so, like, thank goodness, there are places for people to go and to speak up and to mm-hmm. listen and hear other people speaking up. Yes, right. So very important the way right. things are changing and still need to change. They do. The, yes. The, yes. Mes- the message that, you know, men and women are equally important. I think that's, that's a, right. one of the, you know, one of the most important that's messages, right. I'll say. Um, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So I, I love when you talk about, you know, you're uh, fresh out of school and your first job in advertising and you describe it as the oh. Mad Men era. I think that's a perfect, oh, paints yeah. a perfect picture for people to, oh, yeah. to understand where you were and what you were doing. Um, yeah. You were a receptionist for gray advertising. And that's correct. So, yeah. okay, let me ask you how you got that job because, you know, that I'm sure there was competition for that particular job. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. And, again, enter the mother, you know, enter the strong woman, you know, yeah. into the picture. So, of course, well, so, so yeah, so I did. I went to um, state school, um, SUNY New Paltz. Great school, really. I mean, great, great I, I place, I think, probably to this day. Um, but I really, it's like, I don't know, growing up, you know, 
it's kind of like if you were to ask me what my aspirations were, it's like they were everything. You know, I was not lucky enough to have like a root in my life that was like, okay, I am pre-med and I'm going to be a doctor. Ooh, great, easy, well, lots very, of hard work. Right. But, very few yeah, are, I think, de- you know, determined. I, I think right? so, right? Yeah, I yes. know, and I love that. I love people like, oh, God, that's what I want for my daughter. I'm like, please, just just go. It's so much easier. You know, you're going to have to work a lot harder, but yeah. I, it's great. But, you know, I I always wanted to be everything. My aspirations were I was just always a very curious person. I love science as much as I love literature as much as so so you know I came through college and it was a great college experience, but it was you know as broad as could be you know, and coming out of school, really leaving college absolutely not knowing what I wanted to do. I had a mm-hmm. focus in um social work um and 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 sociology but it just by my final year, I just I just knew I just knew that it was probably not going to be for me. It was just something that you know I came through school doing, and so I I, I had no clue. I had no clue, yeah. and and I really wonder how many people truly have that terrifying you know young people where you're like okay, I just did everything I was supposed to do. I came through four years of college. I did the best that I could, but I don't have any idea what I'm going to do. And I think that's a very real way to be and feel. And so that's where I was at. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that. I can totally relate to that. You know, that was, you know, absolutely my story. And I think many people, I think we, you know, you, what you're doing is just kind of doing the the next right thing and determining what I, one of my guests said something once I'll never forget. And I love it. Um, that failure is 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 not failure it's actually eliminating what is not working so mm-hmm. if you continue to try right and yeah. and you're and it it's not the thing that you're to be doing it it's not a failure it's it's you just checked one more thing off your list oh, um, I right love that. isn't I that do. nice yeah. way to look at uh, it absolutely i think that's a, that's a great way to look at it it's a great way to look at it to understand what your your next passion life will be absolutely absolutely yeah i mean it's funny i have a friend who from high school actually a dear friend who just um left her job after many years um and um you know and her husband actually just said something similar to me and inspired me and he kind of said exactly what one of your previous guests said that it's time for her to find her next passion and it's going to take a while because she has no idea and and it's going to have to be maybe checking things off the list like nope it's not that oh, mm-hmm. I try- oh god yeah. no and you know she, and he's like it might be depressing but it's like it's there's going to be something completely new you yeah. know and and it will be found this way by by moving forward so i think you're right it, it's just checking things off the list sometimes and for me i um I, yeah i had no idea i had no idea what i wanted to do and i think that young people feeling that way again you know don't feel bad about yourselves you know, it can be a really difficult time coming out of college and not knowing really what you want to do, where you want to go, how you get those first jobs or you get the first job and it's not really interesting or, you know, but but it's okay. It is so perfectly normal. And for me, I mean, I, I just, you know, was clueless. I just wanted to travel. That was about the basis of my plan. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like typical, you know, and, and 
and you know but again the enter like my family very close knit you know still involving my parents in my decisions and you know them looking at me like definitely with eyebrows raised and <laughs> understanding you know young people can can kind of do what they want to do and you can't really stop them so my mother, again, in all of her incredible fortitude wisdom, <laughs> and fortitude, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, obviously, that, yes, definitely, um, she's a, definitely a, a fireball. So she said, you know, your dad and I have talked. We'll, we'll tell you what, we'll make we'll make you a deal. You want to go travel? You know, you want to go just just go do what you want to do. We will help you do that. Um, we will give you. Some money, and I mean, when when I say some, I mean you know, very very little, but very very little. You know, it was like, you know, somewhere between three and six hundred dollars or something. You know, because I always did work, but that's a whole other story. In college, I I I worked um, full time. I actually had my own flower shop in college, but that's a whole other story. So wow, they said we'll give you. Yeah, yeah. I again, I realize. I, I guess I always kind of had that little bit of like let me do something and start a little business but yeah yeah but um they said we'll give you a little something but you have to make us a deal you have to go work in manhattan again i'm coming from long island mm-hmm. you have to go work in manhattan for six months straight and then if you still want to go we'll give you that little bit of help that we can and I was like, okay, deal. That's a good deal. So That's a great deal. Because I think what they, in their back of their minds, they're thinking she's, you know, we need her to go experiment yeah. with this and, and see what yeah. comes of it, right? Yeah. Yes, and praying, I think, and hedging their bets that, like, I would never want to stop working them once I, if I could just find something and some excitement. Yeah. So open the New York Times classified section, and it was a blind ad. It was just for receptionists. And it was not to gray advertising. It was, you know, apparently a headhunter. And my mother said, answer this one. And, you know, we circled a bunch. And, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll answer it tomorrow. First thing, it was like a Sunday. Um, called. It was a headhunter. I went. I saw them. They sent me straight to gray. Went to gray. Within a week, I had a job at gray advertising. And I never looked back. Mm. And that was it. Yeah, that was back in 1993. Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And And guess what? You've stayed in this field. Um, yeah. for all these years. So while, yeah. you know, I think one of the toughest things for young people is when, um, you know, uh, when an advisor or a parent or, you know, yeah. an adult in their life says, well, what is your passion? What are you passionate about? If you can figure that out, you know, you, know. that's the answer. And sometimes, you know, you think a passion is you can be interested in many things, as was exactly. your case, right? Exactly. Many things. And, you know, I, I, man, I got lucky, right? My parents got lucky. I got lucky. I got lucky because advertising is a field that incorporates so many different disciplines working together. So you have, Mm. you have the strategic thinkers, you have account relations and marketing, you have creative people, writers, art directors, directors, musicians, you have producers, which is what I am. I became a producer. And when I saw at that big ad agency at Gray, it was 777 Third Avenue at the time. It was about 38 floors of different groups of people, account managers, creative people, producers. When I saw what the producers were doing on the production floors, I still remember it was the fourth floor and the 10th floor was production in that building at the time. I 
I wanted it so badly I could taste it. I mean, I was like, that is me. That wow. Is me. They, because the producers do a little bit of everything. That's right. And, they have and, their hands and in I everything. Was, yeah. they, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I I just couldn't believe it, but I was very fortunate that it was such a diverse, um, you know, array of, of types of work that go on in the advertising fields, right? It was really fortunate for me. Well, let's, listen, it's not easy um, to work your way up in a fairly, you know, decent amount of time, I'll say, in an yeah. advertising agency, especially one that size. Yeah. If Can you think back to, and you're, mm. you know, you're starting out as a, a receptionist and you're you're yeah. there at the desk and you're answering phones, but you're, I'm um, assuming, observing everyone and everything. Was there a moment for you or a person, I'm going to say, um, mm. that kind of came into your life that, where you realized that you could be more than that receptionist, that you really had an opportunity within that company to move right out from behind that desk and into something, um, you know, more involved, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question because, you know, back in that time and, and, you know, I, I would imagine, listen, life is the same. You know, it improves little by little, bit by bit. But it was definitely, I knew I within six months that I wanted to be a producer or I just thought I would die. I mean, like, it was like I wanted it so badly I could taste it. I knew it was for me. And whoever I started talking to, it could have been other receptionists. It could have been some of the young assistant producers in the department. I had zero positive feedback at first. It was all just that sort of like, oh, it's impossible. It's impossible to get from reception to production. No way. You have to go to film school or you have to know somebody or you have to, but but it's never happened. You know, that was the attitude. Right. I bet. I bet. Yeah, it was because those jobs were coveted as assistant producers, still are. I mean, it's a great job to be an assistant producer in an ad agency. It's a great career path. Right. And, and so I did not have good feedback, and I, crazy that I was, but maybe sometimes you have to just, just you know, be a little crazy. I wrote, um, and I tell you, it's funny talking to you, Susan. It's like I... I, 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 you know, my parents were always very involved, and I kept them involved. And so I would run a crazy idea past them, and they wanted to see me succeed, and they would push me to just, just go for it, just do it. And my crazy idea was I would volunteer to the production department. I wrote a memo saying around six months' time, I said, you know, I will stay. I work. I introduced myself to the whole department in a memo at a time when people would still drop their memos with the mail room, and then it would just all go and on a mail card, and everybody would get your memo. And I introduced. I I approved it though through the head of production, who was a woman at the time. Her name was Nancy Axel, and I asked if I could send a memo telling people I would be available when my shift was over as reception to help out in any way possible. And she said, yes, you may send this memo. So I did that saying I get off at 4 o'clock. I'll stay. I notice you all work very late if anybody needs any help. I also have a week's vacation coming to me in a few months. I'm willing to come in every single day on my vacation. If you have any odds and ends, yeah, that you need me to do, you know, or even if I could just, you know, sit and learn and watch. And and then I sort of ended it in a funny way, the way I wrote the memo. Or, you know, even if you just need to go get you a cup of coffee, (laughs) I will do that. You know, I'll do anything to learn and that sort of thing. So 
So that memo got sent around. And I do remember sitting at reception one day on the fourth floor, and one of the producers, who was a very senior producer, um, maybe, um, I don't know, he was a man in his like late 30s or something, came up to me, and he came to the front desk, and he was like, are you, are you, my name was Petiti before it was Willis. He was like, are you Sue Willis? Are you? And I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, I got your memo. I was like, oh, oh, okay, great. You know, I was all nervous and everything, like, oh, my gosh. And he said, get me a cup of coffee. And he walked away. Okay. And did he, he smile or no? He was pretty mean. He oh. kind of laughed because he thought he was so darn funny. Wow. And I, of course, just wanted to burst into tears, but I didn't. And, um, and it made me double down. <laughs> it wow. made me get yes. even more <laughs> determined yes. to save face, I think, because yeah. how embarrassed I was. So, you know, you remember, you do remember... Listen, it was, a, it was a woman had a production at the time, and she allowed me to send the memo. And then yeah. there were detractors. You right. know, people weren't that nice. But you know what? Ultimately, there were, I would say, two or three producers who came up to me when they had a moment, congratulated me, and looked to help me. Mm. They did. Yeah. They looked to help me and mentor me. So um, one I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and, you know, I, it just, it, it's, it, it worked. You yeah. know, I, I had to like push those doors open and it's, it wasn't easy. It was a little embarrassing even, but, well, but it, I, that was it. You know, that I, I love that story for so many reasons, <laughs> but you really, you know, Susan, you made the, you know, you made the ask to, to re, you took such initiative to walk in there and say, I'd like to send a memo yeah. and just to yeah. offer up your time in the place yeah. where you wanted to be was so, so smart. I think that's a, it's a yeah. great lesson. Um, yeah, listen. You know, and it's funny. Yeah. Go ahead. I, well, well you, I was going to take, we have to take a quick break. And then when we great. go back, finish that, um, that thought. When great. we come back, I want to hear more of this story. We'll be right awesome. back. Okay. Thanks. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area in mid-November, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. 
With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411. That's montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Susan Willis, who is the co-founder of Cutting Room, The Cutting Room, and Light of Day in New York. And uh, just before the break, Susan and I were talking about um, an experience that you had, I'll say, you know, back in the beginning of your career, and it, it, it was I was thinking about this during the break, that it's always so interesting that for every person that's there really trying to help lift you, uh, there's always some little person who wants to come in and, you know, just shake always. things up. Always, always. It's, always. It's amazing. You know, that's just it amazing is. that that man had to say that to you. But as you said, sometimes yeah. that's the thing that really, you yeah. know, fires you up. And can oh, yeah. propel you forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you do ultimately have to look at it like, I'll show them. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it gets it's you not right. easy. It, it's but not. there's no other way to look at those things. Even if you want to go home and have a good cry that day or something, I'm sure I did, you know, but... But you have to just you turn it into something good, yeah, some some revenge, right? Right, oh, right. God, but but you know, and 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 it's funny, you know, and and one thing I was going to say just before the break is that you know my husband and I joke about this, like if nothing else, I think something that that young people coming up in any career should know, and especially now that I I do run two companies and so I do see different you know young people coming into the business and all that kind of stuff is that. If all else fails, just outwork everybody else around you. If you really want something, and maybe somebody is more qualified than you, like in my case, you know, I had not gone to school for the thing that I was entering into, so I was at a huge disadvantage. But yes, yes. you can always outwork everybody for, you know, to to do it as a very good old-fashioned way to get ahead, put in more hours, be more committed, don't complain, you know, and, and just just go for it and have a positive attitude. It works. It mm. really does. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, would you say that's because people will take notice of that and then, and then more opportunities yeah. are presented? I absolutely do. Maybe they'll take notice of it. Maybe they'll take pity on you. <laughs> I mean, it's like I have people in the company where, you know, if it's just such a good attitude that then if you, you are, you know, the older, more experienced person, you will look to mentor people like that. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like that's where they'll be handed the, you know, golden handbook of how things really need to get done. And I think, yeah, I think that it's, 
it's definitely like, you know, the positive attitude gets you places. But even if it gets you pity, fine, take it. Just, just take anything. <laughs> Any attention yes, is good attention. Use it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, oh, let, let's talk for a few minutes about the, the work that you do. It's it's very exciting. Yeah. And, and I know that you love it, which is so, so cool. Yeah. You know, it's it's very creative. Um, a couple yeah. of things I, I made some notes that I wanted to talk to you about. And one obviously is this uh i picked up this statement probably from your website about the fact that women only make up three percent of leadership in the creative Mm. industry and maybe more specifically advertising that was a surprise to me and i'm wondering what your your thoughts are on why that is still the case yeah you know it it is it's it's so interesting and i mean i think i just read Somewhere recently, again, even with the push that, you know, the film studios are doing in Hollywood, um, it seems that only 6%, only 6%, I believe, of of Hollywood's films last year <clears throat> were helmed by female directors. So, again, I mean, my gosh, I, I, it is, I don't know, are we moving forward? Are we standing still? Are we going backwards? But, yeah, it does seem... From my perspective in the ad industry, when I look around, I still think that jobs are falling into very gender-specific roles, and I'm not quite sure why that is. So, for example, I'm a producer, and that's what I do. Now, I'm a business owner, so I guess that would make me into a businesswoman of sorts. An and, entrepreneur. Know, stuff, but yes, you're an, an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You know, all those things are, you know, titles, but, but ultimately, I'm a producer. That's what I do. And in the ad industry, I still see, personally, that women are definitely not in the top leadership roles in a majority standpoint. Maybe in production they are, but directors creative directors, um, those roles seem to still be going at the very top or at the very top of, say, you know, the chief creative officers, unfortunately, majority speaking. Of course, there are women in those roles, mm-hmm. but we're talking like equal or majority. Yeah. It still seems to be male-dominated, and it's almost that, you know, I wonder, is it that we're, we're, we're not, you know, women are just not still feeling that we can go for those other types of roles. You know, it's like I I think about even resumes I get and and, and that sort of thing. And and I just, I don't have the answer. But but it does seem like we have a really long, far way to go. And certainly I, it bothers me. Mm. It bothers me. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Do you happen to know what the statistics are on um, men versus women in advertising in general? So in other words, where there may may only be 3%. Um, in leadership, mm-hmm. are there, is it 50-50 for just women and men in advertising in general? Because it seems to me that there's a lot of women in advertising. There definitely are a lot of women in advertising, so I'm not quite sure, okay. and that would be an interesting statistic to yeah, come yeah, by, actually. Yeah, I'd be just curious. Mm-hmm. Because so, it does seem like it's pretty equal, so if we're not hitting the leadership roles, then I smell a rat there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So here's something interesting. You know, you happen to work with your, your husband, Chuck Willis, yep. right? So you're that's partners, right. and that's always an interesting dynamic. Yeah, um, yeah. And this might not be a very creative question, but how, how do you make it work, you know, working mm-hmm. day in mm-hmm. and day out? Um, as hard as, as you both do, 
Um, yeah. Do you yeah. kind of, you know, each know your roles or is it just a matter of, you know, respect yeah. for each other? Tell yeah. me what, how you make it work. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, at um, at Cutting Room, yeah, Chuck and I are co-owners and we work together. And then at Light of Day, it's actually my company with another man. Okay. <laughs> another another yeah. person that Chuck is, so he's um, not my partner in my second company. But I think... You know, I think, you know, behind every great woman is a good man. <laughs> I think, oh, um, right. Yeah. Or, right, like a yeah. confident man. And I think for us, you know, the biggest thing, actually, that I can say is that we're very fortunate in that we do complementary things. We do not have the same role. Our jobs completely complement mm-hmm. one another. And you know so what you're both it, good at. I'm yeah, guessing. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Even, even, you know, and I think even just from a company structure, you know, that's mm-hmm. why with my second company with Light of Day, you know, with my other partner, you know, Colin Stackpole, he also has a job that's complementary to mine. We're not in the same space, and we just make good, good partners. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, with my husband, we do look at ourselves though as a couple, like you know, who. We laugh. We're like, we, we find ourselves very old-fashioned, actually, in this sense. You know, people are like, oh, my gosh, how could you work with your husband? We actually think it's very old-fashioned. It's like if we had a farm, you know, maybe he would be doing something, one set of tasks on the farm, I would be doing another, but all towards the same end, yeah, all towards yeah. the same well, dynamic. So we kind of look yeah. at this as like farming, you yeah. know. <laughs> it makes perfect sense right. that we would both be helping to work with the farm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah. Here's a question for you. In this, um, and because I know you work with technology, certainly, um, a lot of the work that you do, um, do you ever worry about where we're headed in this this technological world? In other words, every yeah. day I read, it's, it's fascinating yeah. to me, what is becoming, what's taking the place of human beings, you know, what yeah. is becoming robotic, what computers are yeah. now able to do, not only in analyzing and, and kind of, you know, um, yeah. presenting numbers and things for us. But now they're even saying, you know, they're they're beginning to be able to predict, uh, you know, mm. computers and, and, and kind of mm. make suggestions. It's all amazing to me. Mm. Do you mm. worry, and, you know, you're in such a creative mm-hmm. field and you work on films mm-hmm. and documentaries that yeah. very often are about the human spirit and emotion. Yeah. And, and how yeah. could we, right, how could we ever be a world with, without that? Do you worry yeah. that we're advancing so quickly that yeah. at some point we may be losing sight of what, you know, what is important from, you know, the human standpoint? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely do. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was a time in our industry that it was not as easy to do what we do here, to do editing work, sound work, special effects work. Um, listen, it's still difficult and complicated work that requires a lot of knowledge and thought, but technically, to your point, it's gotten a lot easier. Physically, it used to actually be more of a physical task. We've mm. talked about this um, you know, in the sense that that when editors first started editing, they were actually holding film in their hands and using, you know, splicers and maybe cutting their right. fingers when they were doing it wow. to put together a cut. And what that did was it created an atmosphere of people who, because it was so difficult to do what we did technically, you would have to be a great visualist. You really would have to think about where you were going before you went there because it was just 
just difficult to do now. Thank goodness. Listen, I'm all for it. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. The technical, the tools that we use have made it so much easier. But what we see here and what we challenge our, our you know, new employees to do as they come out of film school is to not just throw things at the wall and see what sticks because now you can, you can do something and then undo it. On a computer, everything's, you know, it's really quick, it's really easy, it's super fast. But, but do you have a vision? Before you do this, are you just trying any old thing and then going, oh, that looks great. Oh, that kind of works. But you don't know why. You're not sure why. And and that would never convince me in a creative field that you really know what you're doing. You have the experience to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think we need to use technology to bring us closer together in collaboration because we can all work much closer together, much more quickly. We are moving back to an environment where people are sitting at farm tables. You know, everybody's in open spaces. That's how technology should be used. I really love that aspect of it. But it should not, in a creative field, in my opinion, be used to just throw things at the wall and see what sticks and think that, you know, creativity is a commodity. It's not. It does have a soul. It does have a spirit. It does have to have a long history of storytelling and and what storytelling means. Actually, my husband, you know, is teaching a master class in editing and storytelling at Emerson um, Film School, his alma mater. And and so it's something that we do feel very strongly about, especially in creative endeavors that, that, you know, let's not let technology, let's not think that anybody can do any old thing and it'll get you in the heart. Like, Mm. it's not necessarily that way. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have but, the, you have to you know, have you have to fight for that. Mm-hmm. Right, I bet. And it does something to say. Yeah, yeah. And know why you're saying it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that takes work. Yes. Listen, I want to give you a few minutes to talk about the humanitarian um, efforts uh, that you're you. involved in. You know, um, I want to make sure that we talk about that. You're doing some very interesting and important work. Um, one of them has been serving as an executive producer on a documentary mm-hmm. project with Alicia Keys, Keep a Child Alive. Yeah. Um, tell me yeah. about that, how you, how you got involved in that and, and um, mm-hmm. what the mission mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Well, at Keep a Child Alive, KCA is um, an organization that provides um, um, ARVs, antiretroviral drugs, for women and children in Africa with AIDS. And I got involved, oh my gosh, maybe about eight years ago um, when I was on um, maternity leave. And long story, um, met met, uh, one of the co-founders with Alicia, this incredible woman, Lee Blake, and she had about 50 or 55 hours of footage of Alicia Keys' first trip to Africa um, and sort of gave it to me like, I-, I know we can make something out of this. You know, why don't you try? And she's a real fire starter, Lee. So I think the, I think the, the, the footage sat in my office for a long time. And then I was home on maternity leave and, and had some time in between, you know, naps and, and feeding and all that amazing stuff um, <laughs> to start to, like, pluck away at the footage. And I finally got through it and, and was like, oh, yeah, there's something here. There is definitely a documentary here. So, so that was the beginning of it, and that opened up my relationship with Keep a Child Alive. And so I served on their board of directors. I've served on their board of directors for um, I guess maybe about eight years now, yeah. And and you know I've just been lucky that I've I've um, I've been able to use what I do for a living, and the fact that you know I have the mobility with my companies to dedicate staff. 
um, if they're interested um, in working on some extra activities that we can just give our talents to to not-for-profit organizations. And, and the latest being, um, you know, I've been very focused on, on you know, gun sense, common sense, gun laws. So mm. that's that's where my latest documentary work has taken me. Yeah. Actually, so. Okay. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you about that as well, where, you know, again, yeah. you, when, when, when we choose, you know, certain causes, I guess there's so yeah. many, so much need I out know. there, right? And yeah. so how do you, especially as you said, with your expertise in the industry that you're in, you could probably be involved in multiple yeah. causes. Yeah. Um, can you tell me why these two are, are so close to your heart? You know, it's interesting. I think I think the first one was in the category for me of the just say yes category. Like, say yes to things that come along. It, 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 it honestly, you know, it hadn't been something that I was passionate about in my life before I met Lee Blake and she had some need for some free work and through somebody in the industry, you know, said, Oh, you should call Sue Willis and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I just kind of got swept along with it and, yeah. and, 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 you know, said yes at every turn to anything I could do and then became passionate about what they were doing because it was hard not to be, you know, yeah. I think anybody would be given the opportunity. Um, and, and that's, helped to teach me, even though I was giving to the organization, it's given me the ability to, I think, also understand how to pursue, pursue you know, other non-for-profit work um, that maybe is a, a true pet cause of mine, which, which did lead me to, um, you know, the gun control work, that, that sort of, you know, the common sense law work. Um, that, that's something that, that is, is, a passion of mine um, for for many reasons. Actually, just my father, as a New York City cop, did not believe that you know he, people should have such easy access to guns because he saw too many things, um, and and you know just just actually didn't believe that that was you know something you know people needed help. People needed help, and um, it led me to what I'm doing now, which is, you know, basically after the Sandy Hook shooting, I, I you know, I flipped out. I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't take take it anymore. So I got involved in, in that sort of work. Yeah. Now, are you actually chronicling um, what women yeah. are doing, you know, for this yes. gun control movement? Is that what is that what it is? Yeah, it's definitely um, something that you know crosses a lot of passions and interests. Um, interest to me. First, there is the woman's angle in that after the horrific Sandy Hook shootings, I got involved with Donna Dees, who was the organizer of the Million Mile March on Washington. Um, And um, she explained to me that she did need help chronicling women in the movement because she knew everybody. She was such a great connector and still is. And she basically said to me, if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, nobody will know how to get things done. And, and you know, we have the same ideas that it's, it's, it's largely when women organize that things happen, mm. that lawmakers yes. start to get afraid, and they should. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a history of that in this country, whether it be, you know, um, for health laws or, you know, gun control laws. It's like women seem to always be at the epicenter in America of when they band together and organize civil rights, you know, movement. It, it's it's 
it's that's when things start to happen. So Don and I share that passion and that belief in life in this country. And and so we I started to just help her with no direction in sight, really just chronicling the lives of women in the gun control movement. And then a story, a very specific story did emerge from that about five great women in Louisiana who helped change some really tough laws and put some strict laws on the books. And and listen, I, I, I believe that, you know, what I would call common sense gun laws have to come they have to come as a byproduct of other laws. For example, what the women in Louisiana did was a byproduct of domestic abuse, uh, domestic violence. And they were able to tighten up the gun control laws in Louisiana um, in regard to women who had been abused. It's just common sense. Yeah, so, yeah. so, yeah, that's that's the sort of um, focus that I've been lending my my help in any way I can with my companies to just, just get the story out there, right? Yeah. Like to tell the story. Where can we mm-hmm. see these? Where can we see this work, both of them? Ah, thank you very much. Yes. Um, well, Five Awake is the name of the documentary about these amazing women in Louisiana. And uh-huh. they um, that documentary actually just won at the New Orleans Film Festival back in October. Oh, Best documentary short. That's thank you fantastic. So yeah. Uh, thank you, Sue. And um, so, but you know, very simply, if you um, if you go to fiveawake.com, mm-hmm. um, you can see the documentary. Okay. So, and, and I hope is that, your website also sh- must show all the work that you do, or? You know, it does, okay. except, you know, like anything, it's like it's like we're always a little behind, so I have to update okay. it, and I will. <laughs> I should put the link on the website. You're making a great point. There you yeah, go. So, so so I will do that the moment we, we wrap up, actually. Yeah. So you can always go to Cutting Room. Yeah. Um, what is our website? Cuttingroom.tv. Yes, cuttingroom.t. I'll, I'll put that out there as well. I'll, sh- I'll be sharing Thank lots you. of stuff after the interview. But um, my last Good. question for you, we just have a few minutes left. I think about Please. how busy you must be. I mean, not only, you know, doing this kind of work for causes that are so important mm-hmm. and truly matter. You know, you have some big, big clients that you yeah, are working with. Um, yep. You know, I, I'm looking at my notes, Comcast, Miller Lite, Bank of America. Uh, I'm sure there's yeah. a lot more. So do you ever feel sure. overwhelmed kind of juggling the two worlds and if and I and I guess you do we all have moments where we, yeah. we feel that pull how do you yeah. move through that what do you do to kind of yeah calm down yeah <laughs> and focus oh, it's 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 such a great question yes I do I I do I absolutely do um you know, I let myself get a little out of control sometimes, and I and I and I let it happen, and I and I just allow myself to not have any real answers, but I I I impose limits, <laughs> and if I think that my home life, which is my most important thing, mm. ultimately, yeah. it is. I have a young daughter, and you know, she's number one, and. And um, I will let things get out of control, but only for a time. And then I will impose a schedule. And you know what? If it all falls apart at work, then it falls apart at work. And I'm willing to run that risk. And somehow, when you put those limits on, things tend to not fall apart and, you know, pan out. And thankfully, we can, you know, work from home and and do all those things. I'm I'm fortunate that I can, you know, leave the office at a certain time and and still be available if need be. But but I do. I I say, you know what, I'm going to have to. There's no answers. There are no easy answers. You make the choice. That's right. You have to stick to your choices, whatever makes you happy, too. I mean, my gosh, whatever makes you happy. Susan, I wish we 
had a whole today. other hour. I really, I could oh, talk to you, you so so much, and I thank you so you much too. for taking thank the hour. You. And um, thank you, yeah, thank you for doing all the work you're doing. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks. Aww. Take care. That's it, you everyone, too. for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week.